0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and we are just over a week away from Flip Hacking Live. I've introduced you to a lot of the speakers over the past few weeks on the podcast. And today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take today and the next couple of podcasts to introduce you to what you can expect at Flip Hacking Live this year. Um, these are some of my favorite presentations from FHL. Um, this one is one that I will always remember. It's Annie McFarland, my mentor and really good friend and business partner just all around amazing guy who you're going to see this year and he uh he was sharing about the tactics like the blocking and tackling he calls it like the basic fundamentals of business in your real estate business so um this is something that you need to hear right now it's something that i've been thinking about a lot and talking about and it's going to prepare you for flip live this year and even if it's after fhl when you hear this um, this is a presentation that will never get old. You've got to hear this over and over and over again. And when it comes to marketing, everybody right now is saying, What is the best marketing channel? What is the best marketing channel? What is the best marketing channel? This presentation is going to answer some of those questions and also show you what you must have in your business to be effective. If you're spending money, you've got to do the basics, right? And this is going to remind you that and give you some really great tips. So, Andy, thank you so much for this presentation. I listen to it often and um, I'm I'm happy to share it with all of you guys today. And if you heed this advice and listen to it, you will be more successful. And if you don't have your tickets to Flip Hacking Live 2021, make sure you go get them. Go to flippackinglive.com, grab your tickets. They're gonna, price is gonna go up again in just a couple more days, um, just up to $1,000 before the event. So save some money, get your ticket right now and come visit with us in Orlando, October 14th, 15th and 16th. I'll see you guys there. And here's Andy McFarlane with um, hands down one of my favorite presentations from any of the last, We are 7-Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook.
1: So, who was here last year? Show of hands. So, Justin, in his salesmanship, last year, we had an awesome event last year. It was amazing. And then he's, like, selling tickets. Like, I didn't even know he was going to do this. Starts selling tickets to this year's event, right? He's like, it's going to be bigger and better. It's going to be this huge room. We're going to do these amazing things. And, uh, you know, I thought it was just salesmanship, but Justin's done it, right? It's bigger than it was last year. So, I want to give... Uh, I just want to say thanks to Justin and Tara, because we're all here because of them, so can we give them a little... And I want to say thanks to Bill, too, for warming up the crowd. <laughs> so, <laughs> Lieutenant Allen, Lieutenant Allen. So a lot of you guys don't know this, but Bill, this was one of, I think this was one of your first areas, right? We were flying helicopters in San Diego. We were talking about it last night, so there's, there's Lieutenant Allen, so thankfully he's, well, Thank you for your service, Bill, because, I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. The military lost a great man, but, I mean, we, we got one here in this community, so I love that he's here. Um, I want to talk to you guys about, well, thanks to Justin Tara, but thanks to you guys, too. Each one of you guys taking your time and money to be here it says a lot about you, okay? And this was a picture taken. This is at my office. I have a portion. Of, we have a portion of that office. You can kind of see it. It's, faintly, it's, it's a rainbow. My friend took it. He took that, and he sent it to me. He like, said, well, I know where the pot of gold is, right? He was just joking with me about that. But I saw that and it made me think, you know what, all of us here in this room, especially all of us here in America have huge opportunities. We all have just huge opportunities, limitless opportunities. So I think sometimes we get stuck in this like apathy or we think woe is me or whatever, but we have so much just being here. So I hope all you guys recognize that you can get kind of the hope from that, that that you can do this too or you can do whatever you want because you have so much opportunity. We all have like a pot of gold here just just by virtue of the fact that we live in America. So um, you guys all can do this. So I want to show you guys this. That notebook. This is this notebook right here. Fifteen years ago, just over 15 years ago, this was my notebook that I was taking notes in. I got handwritten notes in here 15 years ago. It says stuff like, I want to learn rehabbing, assignment of contracts, discount of notes, subject to, talk to these certain people, people's office, figure out what papers I need, get pre-foreclosure list, all this stuff, right? So I wrote all those things down, and for the last 15 years I continue to learn things, right? And hopefully who here's you guys are taking notes. Who here's not you're not going to want to say that. Though. Who's here is not taking notes? Who didn't bring a notepad to take notes? Who hasn't taken some notes already? Nobody wants to admit that. Nobody, right? Who? I see a hand over there. Sir, you, not taking notes yet. Okay, I want to give you this. Where are you at? Right here. And there's a pen. It's one of my favorite pens there. It'll be so valuable to you guys, all the stuff. Even if you think you've heard some of these things before, we hear things like, we see things with new eyes as we grow and learn, right? So, although some of these things you might think, oh, I've heard that stuff before, take notes on it, because you're, you're a different person right now hearing these things. So, and anything you guys, anything anybody's doing up here, we've got amazing speakers for the next couple of days, you can learn anything you need to learn. Like Justin said, he's like, oh, he's a normal guy, Bill's a normal guy. We're all, we're all normal people doing this stuff, so what we can do, you can do as well, right? So, in every man there's something wherein I may learn of him, and in that I'm, in his, pu- I'm his pupil. Truly, all of us have something to teach and all of us have something to learn. So um, let's do that while we're here. Let's spend the time to do that. Um, Last year I talked a lot, if you were here last year, I talked a lot about permission. I had a friend, Ryan, who was relatively the same age as me, and he was doing a lot more deals than I was. And just by knowing him and hanging out with him and by nothing more than just virtue of knowing him, he gave me permission to be bigger than I was. He said, you're in a bigger market than I am, and you're the same as me. You know the same stuff as me. Why Why aren't you doing more? And that's really the question that like, clicked it for me. Because I saw him. I saw in him that he was my equal, my peer. And he gave me permission to be bigger than I was. So last year, I gave everybody, everybody in the room permission to be bigger. And a couple of you have said what that meant to of You Sabin, one of them, and some other people came up to me and said that. And it had an impact on them. So I want all of you guys that didn't hear that last year to know that you have permission to do anything that I'm doing, Bill's doing, Justin's doing, or anybody you're going to hear from. Does that make sense? We're not different than any of you guys. You guys have permission. What one man can do, another can do. Um, some of you guys, you want some updates from last year. okay? For the first three quarters of the year, we've done 213 deals, so we're on pace to do about 284 deals. Um, that's where we're at right now this year. And then about 3.2, 3.2 million, we're on pace for 4.3 million. So last year we did, we did about three, so we're gonna beat that. We're gonna go over that by like 1.3 million, which is awesome, right? But, well, thank you. But I wanna temper that with this, with this warning. Not all success is measured in numbers. He did 25 deals, he made this much money, that's not all success is measured in numbers. So you guys each here sitting here, write down maybe tonight or whatever during the day, what's success to you? I don't wanna define your success. Success is not doing more deals, success is not making more money necessarily. What's success to you? And if you set a goal and define success to you and you work towards that goal and achieve that goal, then you're successful regardless of of how much money you make or or how many deals you do, right? when you hear these things up here the next couple of days, don't get suckered into thinking that success is that, no, success is what you want, working towards your goals and getting something you want, right, okay. Um, some other updates, we hired a disposition manager, so a full-time person to take care of our, our sales from a, a wholesale, which is it's been great, it's been a great relationship with our buyers and it's been great for him, it's been great for us. Um, I hired a sales manager, so we had six sales people, we had no sales management. So we hired a sales manager to help us with that, and that's been huge for us. And one of the things we stopped doing, kind of out of necessity, our sales reps didn't used to do it on pre-work. Who knows what pre-work is? Anybody heard pre-work before? We're going to get into it. I'm glad that nobody raised their hand. You guys just don't want to raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand, just so I see everybody. i still in half the room. Okay. <laughs> so we didn't used to require our sales reps to do pre-work. Somebody did that for them. Somebody prepped their appointments for them, and we stopped doing that. And I'll talk more about that later this afternoon, but... Um, it's been big for us that we don't do that. So I've been thinking for the last few months, what's the best thing that I can share with you guys here at Flip Hacking Live? I did put a lot of thought into this. What's the secret? Justin likes to talk about some of these secrets, right? See this pile of cash? If you can't tell, it's a huge pile of cash. What's the secret? <laughs> you guys ready for it? <laughs> did you guys hear about this, the news story? The Nigerian man died and he, they found $27 billion in his apartment. This is money. Did you guys hear about that? he have been trying to give it all away to us for 50 years. Nobody returns to us. I missed out. I think I missed it. Did anybody else miss it? Who else missed it? I missed it. Okay. All right, so I think we all know that the, the secret to success is this. Uh, Chris Gardner, you ever heard the, uh, what's that? What's that? Uh, the pursuit of happiness. Thank you. You also don't know where I was going. Right? He said this. One of the things young people always ask me about is what the secret to success, sound familiar, right? The secret is there's no secret, it's the basics, blocking and tackling. So, question to you guys, what is the real estate equivalent of blocking and tackling in today's market? Let's get down to it, right? What do you guys think? Leads and conversion, it's blocking and tackling. Let's talk about it. Okay, it's leads, we'll go on leads first. All right. Uh, for the next few slides, you're going to see uh, my, favorite, my favorite Disney movie. Anybody? Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Anybody else is their favorite? Yeah. yeah. So I think of these things from Leeds' perspective in a target. I I've given a target analogy to a lot of different people. People say, where should I start, Andy? Where should I start? I tell them, start at the center of the target, the most highly targeted prospect, and then start moving out in those outer rings, right? Start with the most highly targeted prospect and then move out to the outer rings. And as you get to these outer rings, you're going to kind of be getting diminishing returns. that makes sense? Don't start in the outer rings. Start in the inner rings. Well, what are those inner rings? Leads. Well, let's, let's ask another question. Do you have any money or you don't have any money? So let's start off with people with no money. If you don't have any money, it requires effort and time. So in short, do what others are unwilling to do. Do what others are unwilling to do. George, where are you at? Are you in here, George? Nor? Oh. Um, George is talking to me, I said, oh, what should I share with people? And he says, let them know that, you know, although anybody can do it, it's not necessarily easy, right? So this is it right here. If you, Andy, I got no money, Andy, what do I need to do? What are others are unwilling to do? Well, what are others unwilling to do? Networking's one of them. Networking still works. We just spent three days with seven-figure flipping people, one of the people re-emphasized that they'd read a book, um, <laughs> Tanner. Tanner had read a book, and we we're all proud of him from having read a book. And it was, it was Never Eat Alone, and it basically talks about how you should always be using you know, that, that spare time, like eating or, or whatever, to, to network, to build your business. So networking, does it work? So this year, I added up before it came, $126,842 this year from referrals. From referrals. It wasn't paid advertising. It was just from referrals. So my question to you guys is, one, are you willing to do what it takes if you're not, you know, if you don't have any money? And two, who should you be staying in touch with, and how? So here's some ways you can do that. People that are real estate agents, people that are wholesalers, um, previous sellers, people that have you know, done business with you in the past, a lot of people don't think about that, right? But our sellers, they think it's a one-off deal, but don't birds of a feather flock together? They might not be the people that you would hang out with, but they have friends that should be similar to them, right? What if you followed up with them through some of these methods and said, hey, we've helped you in the past. I'm um, just, just trying to stay in, stay in front of you. Does that make sense? So simple stuff, right? But calls, texts, emails, lunches. And here's a big one, handwritten notes. Who here has sent a handwritten note to anybody in the last year? Wow, pretty good. Right? But not, not the whole room. How many of you sent it to prospects, people that you might be able to get future business from within your real estate business? Not, not as many hands, okay? But handwritten notes, so don't underestimate that. This stuff, do what others are unwilling to do. It's simple stuff. What's easy to do is easy not to do. You guys have heard that before too, right? Okay, how about cold calling or door knocking? The, the room just recoiled, right? I'm not saying I do this stuff. I don't right now, why? Because I'm lazy, because I'm on the got money section and I'm spending the money on those things. We're gonna get to that, right? But if you don't have any money, you say, Andy, how do I get started? How do I get started? Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to cold call? Are you willing to door knock? Are you willing to start at the center of that target and find these people who are highly targeted prospects and do what it takes to reach them and ask them, hey, can I give you an offer on your property? Can I help you in any way, right? Well, who should we do this to? Who's the center of the target, Andy? Just start knocking on your doors? What if you looked at some lists like this? Maybe somebody that's, you know, passed away, like a probate or inheritance situation. Code enforcement. Code enforcement, that's, that can be a big one, right? Both open cases and closed cases. I've heard that closed cases are actually better for some reason. Closed to occupancy. Hoarder houses, right, they're closed to occupancy. Uh, somebody that doesn't have water or doesn't have running water, close to occupancy, things like that, right? Um, meth houses, closed to occupancy. If you get a list of to occupancy, maybe from a health department, houses that are closed. If you contact them, you think they might be like a center of the target, possible motivation, if you're willing to do what it takes to talk to them. Boarded houses, vacant houses, tax lates, evictions, notice of defaults, those question marks are for your ingenuity, because we don't have all the answers, but you guys can go out there and innovate on this, and you can do these things and find lists that you think would be motivated, right? So, in short, with if you don't have any money, you have to do what? Can everybody say it, please, for me, so I know you got it? Do what others are unwilling to do. So, if you don't have any money, and you want to get leads in real estate, and Andy, how do I make it happen? You? Okay, you've all been told. (laughs) Okay, now you have some money. So, it's marketing. So, P.S., guys, this is not just random stuff. This is, I've dug through some of my data, and this is real-time, 2017, first three quarters of the year, What's working, Andy? What's the secret? Where are you getting deals? You ready for it? Cool. This is all driven by my data. I'm not making this stuff up. Oh, P.S. Make sure you have enough runway. Bill Allen's awesome at talking to people about this. People that, I'm going to tell us some of these, these methods and then you might have a couple of bucks and you might do it for like a month and then it just, it didn't work for whatever reason you think it didn't work, but you didn't have enough runway to continue with that consistently and persistently for three, six months. Does this make sense? So make sure with any of the things you talk about that you can actually, with any of these things you implement as marketing, that you can actually have enough runway to see it through, okay? Oh, oh, and PPPS. Who was here last year? This was my big soapbox last year. If you're not answering your phone and you're spending money on any of these marketing methods, you're wasting your money. So answer the phone. Answer your phone. Okay, so niches again. So those niches that we had on the screen... Market to those niches. You have money now, so you don't have to door knock them. You don't have to phone call them. You can send something to them outbound. Get creative with it, right? Can you send them something that's a piece of lumpy mail? Can you send them like a FedEx envelope with nothing in it, with the return address that has your phone number? Can you do something to spark their interest, to get them to call you to start a conversation? The niches, they're the center of the target. Who here bought a house from somebody that you know, had passed away? Oh, no, no, no. Raise your hand, right? You bought a house from... That's like most of the room, right? That's, that's, that's one of our target audiences. That's a niche, so... So niches, marketing niches. Online marketing. Online marketing works. Pay-per-click and SEO. SEO takes, it's a little more of a, a long game, a little more of effort to do your SEO. But if you do that, then, then it works. And I know um, there's some people who are going to talk about that later this week, so I'm not going to dive into it because they're more experts on it than I am. But PPC, that works too. And all this stuff works if you answer your phone. These are the lead portion. Then there's a the conversion portion, which I want to spend more time on that. Uh, equity mailers. Now, there's a lot of buzz around the country. Is mail dead? Does it work anymore? What do you guys think? (laughs) Yep, it still works. Mail still works. So, who should you be mailing? Anybody you can responsibly mail. What does it mean responsibly mail, Andy? I would say, then your target area is probably a good place to start, right? Do they have any equity in the property? Do they have the ability to sell this property to you at a discount, okay? Tax value of the property. You might want to screen your list down a little bit by, like, if you're not buying million dollar homes, maybe you just shave off those, you know, the tax values of million dollar homes, right? Consider length of ownership, because if somebody just moved into a brand new home in 2017, that might not be somebody that you wanna mail to, because they haven't had time to tear it up yet. And then the age of the home, too, that's another thing, right, the older the homes tend to have more time to have wear and tear on that property. Those are the type of properties that we buy. Not saying you can't buy new properties, but uh, by and large, that's more the center of the target, right, equity mailers, that's who you send stuff to. Um, Facebook, there's a lot of buzz about fa- Facebook. We do marketing on Facebook. Uh, I think the betters are going to talk about it later this week, and they're, they're awesome at what they do. So what we found, our data with Facebook is, there's lower leads per contract, meaning it takes more leads to get a contract, but the contracts are profitable. So Facebook works. We don't get a huge margin from Facebook, or a huge, um, huge amount of deals from Facebook, but it does work, but, and we do get profitable deals from that. <coughs> big media. So big media, I'm talking about uh, billboards, radio ads, TV. Um, I don't do big media, but from the people that I talk to that have tried that before, unless you're Coca-Cola and tried to build some big brand image, I don't think we're any of us in this room are in the business of advertising through big media. That's the outer rings of the target, in my opinion. So we don't do any of that. If we're going to get to that far out in the outer rings, we're actually just going to restart again in another market, so we can start the center ring and not have those, that much of the diminishing returns. right? So if you're thinking about those type of things, radio, TV, billboards, I think you might want to start thinking about reallocating some of those funds into uh, more of the center of the target, if you guys all follow me there, okay? So I'm not big into big media. So that's the lead portion. We've heard some of that stuff before. The conversion portion. All right. Anybody wonder if this stuff works? Stephen Williams, where you at, Stephen? I'm calling these people out, and they're not in another room all the time. So, good. Well, we can talk about them there, right? So we're sitting in our mastermind meeting the last couple of days, and I'm sitting there, and Stephen's sitting next to me in the room. He was actually, he was gone, I went to the bathroom, somewhere. I looked down, I looked down, and you see this, can you guys see the, it's hard to see right there, but what's the top of that water bottle say? $9. And he cracked that thing open, he came back, and I'm like, did you crack that thing? You're to open that thing up? That's how you know it's, it's, you're successful, when you can crack a $9 bottle of water. So this, does this stuff work, Stephen? He's not here to answer for him, but yeah, this stuff works. Stuff works. Tara told me he's had two bottles, actually, so. All right, so, preparation. So, a few weeks ago, as I was thinking about what I want to talk about here, my team, sales reps, uh, my sales manager, they they came to me and they said, they're like, Andy, so it's getting competitive out there. There's a lot of investors doing this stuff. There's big rooms full of 500 plus people that they're teaching these things to about how to go get leads and do these things, right? So, it's getting competitive. And there's people here from Utah. How many people we got from Utah here? My goodness, right? So, all these guys are my competition, right? As Bill felt out earlier, right? So they told me that, that's, that we convened a meeting. The sales manager said to me, "Is that Andy, they want to have a special meeting. They want you to talk to them about it. How should we deal with this competition? And I said, okay. So we brought them down. We sat down. Everybody in the meeting. We zoomed the people in that were from out of state. And I thought about it. And I said, what's the problem? And they proceeded to tell me there's competition. There's all these people. They're all doing the same thing, right? They wanted the magic ninja words, the word tracks and all that stuff to say. Do so you guys want some of that stuff? you want to know what the secret is? What I told them? This presentation, the rest of the presentation, came from what I spewed forth on them the next hour. I'm going to do it fast, though, because Sherry's going to make me do it fast. Um, So, first thing. Well, let me go back to that. The key is preparation. The key is preparation. I would say that you, all of us in those competitive markets, you are your biggest competition. It's what you do, not what they do. Let's talk about that. Number one thing I think you should do. Base knowledge, you guys are all in this room, and now everybody has a notepad, thanks to me in the back, the guy in the back has a notepad, right? So, if you, the base knowledge that you bring into your real estate world is huge. Always continue your education. Whenever I find myself that my mind's kind of like stagnant, that I don't really know what, like, ah, it's just kind of like lack of that drive or whatever, it's, it's because I've got a lack of raw materials. So I'd ask you guys, you're in rooms like this, but what are you doing on a daily and weekly basis to fill your mind with those raw materials? You listen to podcasts, books, are you going to uh, events like this, RIAs, networking? Are you keeping up with what's going on in the market? That's extremely important for your base knowledge. Some other things. How are your seller finance techniques? Are you brushing up on those? How about uh, local market knowledge in the, in the context? So there's so many people doing business market. How many of those people do you know? Can you get a competitive advantage by knowing certain people, by certain buyers, certain builders? You've got to keep up on that stuff. And Is this stuff that you guys control or is this stuff that the competitors control? We control it, right? We control this stuff. How about understanding value? I don't know how those people are paying that much. Those competitors, they bought that house for this much. How are they paying that much? You guys wonder how they're paying that much? There's lots of different types of buyers. Do you understand how builders see a property? Do you? Do you understand how flippers see a property? Probably most of this room does, right? ARV minus repairs and all that stuff. Do you understand how landlords see the property? Do you understand how to calculate what they're seeing certain areas that are gonna appreciate, or cap rates. And in today's market, if we had this, this thing 15 years ago, like when I was writing this stuff down the blue thing, this wouldn't even be on there, Airbnb. Do you guys admit that's new? It's a new way of looking at property? What if somebody's coming in, your competition's going in and paying more for a property, and you don't understand Airbnb element of that? You can't buy that property like they can buy it. They're seeing it different than you. So understanding all these things that you control, keeping up on your market knowledge is extremely important. And then things like financial calculator, who can run a financial calculator? Understand the time value of money and also tax implications too. When you're talking to sellers, which we're going to get into that in just a second, because that's the second part of this. When you're talking to sellers, do you understand, can you put yourself in their shoes and understand their tax implications potentially for a sale at property? And if you understand those tax implications, doesn't that put you in a better position to counsel them through why they should take an offer or you can craft an offer to them? Again, all this stuff is stuff that that we control. So if if some of these things here, you're like, I'm a little fuzzy with that stuff. I encourage you to write it down on the and the stuff in front of you, and maybe go research this. Take some time and effort to do this, because you control these things. So your base knowledge is part a huge part of your preparation. I congratulate you all for being here today, too. Pre-work. That's the next thing. Steps to pre-work. I said I would go over this. So pre-work, when you get a, you've got a lead that came in, because we just talked about how you get your leads, right? And you've got your base level market knowledge that's always improving. And now you've got the specific lead, the specific property, that you're going to do pre-work on it. The first thing I like to do is everything I can do from home on my computer, and we've got this beautiful thing called Google Earth. You don't even have to go out there. Somebody's, that little Google car driven around and taking a picture of this house for you, right? So you can go around Google Earth, and you can see this house, and you can spin around see the house next to it. You see this house. You can see that if it's got a double yellow line or if it's a dotted line. You can see if there's a school across the street. You can see all these things, and you can get an aerial view and see what's around that property, right? Don't you feel like you can get a pretty good feel for what that neighborhood's like and what that property's like? Just in two minutes, just looking at Google Earth, you should do that. You should understand what that property is, right? And then, once you've got that, then you're looking at the property specifics. I like to get an overall view of it, then I dive into the property specifics. And the property specifics, if you can get an old MLS listing, that's going to have all that data you want there. Square footage, bedrooms, bathrooms, maybe you'll see when it was last updated, so you get a good idea of what the interior condition could be. And this is all pre-work. Are you willing to do this before you go to an appointment? Are you willing to prepare for this stuff? Because your competition is, it should be, right? Old MLS data. And if you can't get all the MLS data, then you're going to look at the tax data to see what the county has to say about this. Like in a sterile environment, right? Like, um, this is not the, the pictures of it. This is more just like square footage of bedrooms and bathrooms, right? And then comparables. Once you have that base knowledge, you've seen it, and you know what this property is from a, like a tax standpoint, you can look at the comparables. And when you're preparing for this appointment, I like to bring three different types of comparables. The first type of comparable would be as-is sales. So something that's just you know, those junker houses that just sell as-is for cash. If there's comparables like that, prepare them. I put them in a little Dropbox folder for that, right, as-is, as-is comps. Second type would be just selling like, like a mom-and-pop house it maybe needs a little carpet and paint, but it's willing to sell. It can go FHA, right? So just kind of like base level, what's it worth, the ARV. And then the third thing would be, what's it flipped? If there's somebody that went in there and put granite and did the whole nine yards, what's that worth? There's three levels of comp, because what the property's worth is subjective very subjective, right? It's who's asking, what are they going to use it for, to who, right? So that's pre-work. I buzzed through it kind of quickly, but if you're not putting this type of preparation into going to see a seller, you're not preparing, right? So you're going to be, you're preparing. And with all that pre-work, here's the bottom line what you want. Discover your truth about that property. That's very important as we go into a sales process. You need to discover your truth. What is this property? So I put Jared's story under there. One of my sales reps, he has a hard time doing his pre-work and valuing properties. So oftentimes when he goes out there and gets a property under contract, we don't quite see his numbers. We send it out to the list, and for whatever reason, other people don't see it too. Probably because he contracted the property what? Too high, right? So recently we got a property that he got a great deal on. We wholesale it and made some good money on that. What was the difference? The difference was his truth. When you looked into the Podio notes with that specific property, he had the ARV here. When the ARV was really here. His truth going into that sales appointment was the property was worth less than it actually ended up being worth. He'd done his pre-work and he'd actually convinced himself that it was on this lower side. So he went in there and sold in that environment, he got the property for less. Kind of simple, right? But when you guys go into the property, are you looking at those three types of comps and are you giving it the granite carpet and paint saying, well, I could probably get this in the best market in the best season, all this stuff? Or are you looking at it saying, yeah, that's a possibility, but let's bring it down to probably more a little bit in here because all of us will sell our truth. We can't sell something we don't believe in. So if you go into that situation thinking it's worth it so you can stretch to that, they're gonna get you up to that. So discover your truth. Extremely important, extremely important. The appointment. First thing, show up on time. This is 101, right guys? Nope, it's not. Show up on time. So we got a deck in there to remind myself. So we got a deck in the back of our house. It's not horrible, but my wife wants to get it replaced, right? So we're getting the deck replaced. So she's getting bids, she calls three people to come out. Sales environment. We're all doing the same thing, only the house thing. The first person that comes out shows up late. He gave a good presentation after that. He was personable, all these things. She told me after that, she was bugged that he showed up late, and she says, no way that she's going with that guy. Can you believe that? Anybody else in the room have that same reaction? Somebody shows up late? You don't know who's gonna have a reaction or who's gonna be forgiving of that. But if you don't show up on time, you control that. You're dead in the water. To some people. My wife, she's not going with him right? The second thing is build intolerance. Well, if you can't be on time, you're not building tolerance into your schedule. You need to make sure that you've got enough time to get there and also enough time to do what we're going to talk about next with the seller, spend the time with them. If you allocate 15 minutes to go in there and see the seller, you didn't prepare properly. It's not going to happen in 15 minutes. Sometimes it might, but you need to prepare for it not taking that long. Build intolerance when you go to these appointments. Be real, build rapport. We buy from people, we do business with people that we like, right? So you've got to be real with people. Build a rapport with them. How do you build a rapport with somebody? You listen to them. We all want to be listened to. We all want to be valued. So the question is, what are you listening for? And by the way, you can go to the appointment and be real and build a rapport because you've already done all your pre-work, right? You came to this appointment prepared. You know about the property. You know about the comps. You know, you've estimated some of the repairs. You know that you could, if you can Airbnb this. You know if you can sell it to a landlord. You know if you can sell it to a builder. You know that stuff because of your base knowledge and your pre-work. You know all that stuff, right? So now you go there, you show up on time, you can focus on the seller, you can be real and listen to them. Andy, what am I listening for? Ready? Their truth. You're listening for their truth. Perception is reality to people. So let's go back to my wife. She wants to replace the deck, and I feel like the deck is fine, but she, I'm not the one that you need to sell on this. My wife's the one that's, She sent these three people out here, so they need to figure out, do any of these salespeople, hopefully they show up on time, what are they listening for? My wife's truth. So... Somebody should ask, Mrs. McFarland, so nice deck you got here. I'm just curious, why do you have us out here today? The deck seems to be in pretty good shape. Why would you want to fix a nice deck like this? What's she going to say? Anybody want to guess? I'm going to make my wife sound bad here, but she says, she's just OCD and likes clean things. It's hard to clean. And for a few years, she's been like, it's really hard to keep clean. And she likes to be able to keep things clean. So mainly one of her big reasons is, believe it or not, you guys probably wouldn't guess guessed it. She's like, I, it's just hard to keep clean. I, I don't like that. That's one of them. So as a salesperson, you discover her truth if you're asking, that. like, oh, okay. So it sounds like you, you want to keep the deck clean. Yes. Okay. I wouldn't have guessed that, right? Interesting. Anything else? Well, yeah, there's a couple of holes over here because we replaced the railing. Okay. Well, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Why, why is it big? Might, water might get in there in the winter time, expand, cause some water issues. We don't want to have that. Oh, I understand. Yeah, that makes sense. Perfect. Great. Any other reasons, right? Well, I don't like the color of this, right? Okay. Perfect. That's, uh, any other reasons? Well. Winter's coming, and we kind of want to do this before winter. Okay, so time is a factor for you here. Yes. See what's going on here? He didn't come in here and assume and start making measurements. He went in there and asked what? What are you listening for? Their truth. Their truth. That's very important. Because a lot of times we go in these appointments think about it. You go in there with your truth in mind. You go in there thinking what, what you want. You're like, oh, of course they want it for like this and that. No, 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 no. Erase all that from your mind. You're going in there to listen to them, listen to their truth. So a good question in the house realm. Pete Fortunato, I think, was the original of this. Why would you wanna sell a nice house like this? That's a great opening question. Walk there, walk around the house a little bit. Why would you wanna sell a nice house like this? And let them talk. Again, listen for their truth. Their truth, A, B, C, and D. The deck's dirty, there's some holes there, winter time's coming, just the color of this and that. Okay, is it valid? Maybe not to you, but it's valid to her. What's valid to your sellers? Why would you wanna sell a nice house like this? Listen for their truth. So a couple of tips with this. You guys want a couple of ninja t- tips, right? If you're asking a sensitive question, you can assume the positive with somebody. So for example, um, if you wanna know how much money somebody makes, if I just ask you, hey, Don, how much money do you make? It's a little awkward, right? You don't wanna tell me. But when I come to Don over there, and I'm like, hey, Don, I mean, again, you probably make like a million dollars a year at this point, I mean, you're a huge, successful real estate investor, right? His first reaction is like, oh, n- well, no, I mean, thank you, but I don't make a million, I mean, you know, I, I mean, 750,000. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, but we all, we want to correct people when you assume the positive, right? So you can take that and spin a question like that for any sensitive thing you want to get. Do you owe anything on the, on the property, right? If you want to know that, you know, well, what are you going to do with this 200 grand when I buy it from 200 grand? I mean, $200,000, that's a lot of money. You're going to be able to do a lot of things. Well, and I don't own, you know, I'm not getting total 200. Oh, so you still have a mortgage. So you'll get roughly like a hundred though, right? Well, no, I mean, we're only going to get like 30 grand. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. Right. Is that the best you can do? Guys, that question right there, thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. Don't take it lightly. Write it down, circle it, star it. I just did this again. Just in preparing for this, I was thinking how powerful that question was. So I had to get my car done, so some work done on the car. So I brought it in there. I'm not a handy person, by the way. My wife knows that. Go there, drop the Tahoe off to get some work done on it. And uh, I was supposed to get this specific thing done, but you know how they get it in there and they pop the hood and they find there's a bunch of other stuff, Right? They find a bunch of other stuff. And it's probably valid they've told me this for a couple of times. You need to flush some of those fluids. It always seemed like a joke, right? Like, do you really have to flush these fluids? I guess they do, apparently. Or like, at some point in time. So he finally gets me. He's like, hey, we really need to do this, this, and this, these things. This is a list of items. And he tells me, this is how the guy sells to me on the phone. He's like, hey, Mr. McFarland, you're, we've got this part done, but we've got to open And there's a few other things here. And, you know, there's a list. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, to it's gonna cost a little bit of money. I'm like, Oh. Okay, tell him about this. And he goes through these items, and he finally tells me at the end of all these items, which I feel like they're pretty valid, he's like, eh, you're looking to you get all this stuff done here today, it's going to cost you 800 and whatever dollars, right? And I was willing to pay it, I don't really, you know, of course, i right? just get stuff done, because I don't know, blinker fluid, flux capacitor, sure, it all needs to be changed. <laughs> That's valid stuff, isn't it? So, so I said to him, I just asked this one simple question, I was just like, ugh, God, I wasn't expecting that. Is there anything you do for me today, that? Immediately, the first thing is, well, we can take twenty-five dollars off of this. We'll take this off of that. He went down hundred bucks just from that one question in like ten seconds. At the end of that, I'm like, okay, well, great. Well, I guess with all that, I'll get it done, right? How many times we do that? I brought the car in again. This was a, this was even more extreme than that. I got the battery changed. So I went in there. The battery needs to be changed. I drove in there doing some work. They're changing the battery. They're done with it. The car's up front, and the keys are in, and everything. Go there. And finally, go there. Paying for it. It's done. The work is done. And I'm going there to pay, and they say, okay, it's gonna be this much. And I was like, oof. Can you guys do guys deals? Can you do anything about that? They took money off right there for just asking that. Can you believe that? The work's done. All I have to say is McFarland, you know, we've already done the work and we provide the best value and service we possibly can for the money and but, uh, you know, that would have been fine. But they took money off, right? So ask those questions and anything but especially in real estate, high ticket sales, right? Um, closing. What's the closing statement? What's the ninja way to close somebody? Here's how you close them. Here's how you close people. You've learned their truth. You learned their truth and you restate back to them their truth. So from what I understand from our conversation today, it sounds like this was important to you, A. And B was important to you, yeah, that was important to you. And C was important. And D was also important. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Anything else? Well, no, I think that pretty much covers it. So if we could do A, B, C, D, repeat that back to you, is there any, you know, would you trust me to do that for you? Would, would you let me help you with that? Well, yeah, it sounds, like, it sounds like we could do that, right? Does that make sense? Repeat back exactly what their truth was, why they wanted to do it. Mrs. McFarland, if we can get you a clean deck, uh, fill all those holes, make sure there's no problems there, get the design that you want, and get it done in a timely fashion so for winter and all that stuff, would that be something? Absolutely. That's, yes, that's exactly what we want. Perfect. Price isn't as much of an issue at that point, but if it is an issue, we can still talk about that. Then, would you trust me to help you with this? That's a good closing question. Would you trust me? And then they've got to tell you, no, I don't trust you. Yeah. Obviously, I've done something wrong. I'm sorry let me, help me understand here, I thought you wanted to do this thing, so I might be missing something, or do you not trust that my company could do something like this, you know, if you ask that question like that, people are going to, nobody wants to say they don't trust you, right, and if you've built your rapport right, if you listen to them right, they're going to trust you, they should trust you with that. Tip, okay, what if after all that stuff, they still say, yeah, I get it, but there's five other investors out that door, what are you going to do with that? whatever their specific concern is, and I don't use this as a lead, don't lead with this tactic, because I told my salespeople this, I was like hedged with this whole thing, I was like, guys, this is not something you lead with, this is something you use on a conditional basis, don't use this as a crutch. But if there's something else, if you've given them everything they need, and there's something else they're like, oh well, the price, or my husband, or whatever, you should have resolved that concern before you even got to that point, but if you've got something, you can still get it signed up, but with a clause that fills their needs. I still need to talk to cousin Eddie, he's coming in from out of town, whatever, at that point, you can say, okay, I get it. I'm giving you all these other things and stuff. How about we just write it up right now with, with something here saying, this is subject to cousin Eddie's approval within 48 hours. And if he doesn't give approval, then no harm, no foul, we're good. Because I'm doing everything else you need, right? Well, I guess so, right? Well, there's other investors out the door. What if they give me more money, Andy? Well, I, I know money's an issue, but didn't we, A, B, C, D, did we give it up? Well, yeah, but what if they give me a little bit more money? I get that. I get that. Might give me more. How about we do this, right? Do you know those guys? No. I've given you everything Yes, I've given you everything I wanted. What if we just write it up, because you'd assume to sell it to me or them, but you want to make sure you're getting more money. What if we just write it up at this, and if somebody gives you a higher offer, you're, you're good, because I'll match that offer. I'll match that offer that they're doing that. Because I, but I want to make sure they take care of all these things. Those guys might not take care of all these things. They might give you more money, but I'll give you, I could possibly give you that if they can pay more, and I'll give you all these other things too. I mean, you've, you've got a no-lose proposition here, right? You, would you trust me with that? Okay. Does that make sense? But don't lead with that. Don't go in there. It's a competitive situation. I'll pay more than anybody else. Escalation clause. $500 more. $1,000 more. Don't lead with it. Don't lead with it. Use it if you have to. And if you've prepared and done the rest of your job right, this won't come into play as much as you think it's going to come into play. Because all those other people are not preparing, they're not showing up on time, they're not listening to them, they're not asking questions, and they don't know the market as well as you do. Right? And then the last thing, if you lose, if you've done all that stuff, and if you admit, he has if, if somebody did all of that, do you think they'd be in a pretty good position to win? If you did all that stuff, and you still don't get the contract for some reason, follow-up is key, and then I think you should ask them a question. I think you should ask people, I strive to be the best at what I do. And obviously, somebody served you at a higher level than that, and I would like to know, how could I have served you better? What could I have done better? No, Andy, you were great. You were absolutely great. I understand that, and I respectfully, but I like to learn from all my experiences. Please tell me how I could have showed up better for you. How could I have been better there? and get some real feedback. And if you press them on it, they'll probably tell you, well, you showed up late, and you know, or this guy, my, my sister really liked that guy, you know, whatever, whatever feedback they give you, take that, and you're not trying to get the deal, and tell them, I'm not trying to get the deal from you, but learn from that situation. If you ask that question, they'll respect you, one, two, you'll learn, and three, if that deal falls out, you are probably on the top of that list, especially because you're gonna follow up with them, right? So every situation, If you lost to competition, if you can do this and learn, did you really lose? I don't think you lost. So, my sales reps, they asked me this a few weeks ago. They said, how do we beat the competition? What's the words, Andy? What's the clauses? How do we beat the competition? How do you guys beat the competition? Preparation. You guys are going to prepare. If you're doing all of those things, if you're controlling what you can control then the competition is irrelevant because you guys are your biggest competition. Ask yourself, are you doing those things? Are you building the base knowledge? Are you doing the pre-work? Are you spending the time with the seller? Are you following up and are you asking those questions and trying to hone your craft and be the best you can be? If you're not, then why are you worried about the competition? It's 90% preparation. And it's 10% those ninja tactics, right? Ah, oh, I went to Flip Hacking Live and they told me exactly what to say and here's the ninja word and you say this in NLP and you mirrored them and they did these things and boom, I got the deal. Every, lots of people sell different, and you're going to hear today from two awesome sales guys. Mike Cowper is an awesome sales guy, and um, he's, got a, he's got an awesome sales style, which includes a lot of this, and he'll go deeper with you guys, which would be cool. And then Steven Williams is a rock star sales guy. They both sell extremely differently, but I would think they're probably nodding their head with this presentation and yeah, I do those things. I was talking to Steven about this. He's like, yeah, I do those things. Those are the things that people don't think about, the preparation element. People think about, yeah, but in the moment, what do you say to them? What do you say right there? I can tell you, it's not exactly what you say to them. It's ninety percent of the preparation. Don't take that lightly. Hope everybody wrote that down. So, thank you. Stay classy, San Diego. But I want to open up some questions if you guys have questions. But I felt like that was—I felt like that was one of the best things I could share to this broad audience, and hopefully, you guys agree. And don't take that stuff lightly. And note those things down. They're going to do some mics, I think. So, of you have questions? I had to do it, right? Had to do it, right? Well, Jason had to do it. Can I give Jason a round of applause real quick for his, his PowerPoint? Jason, back of the room, right there, come on. Yeah. That's my brother, those of you know I get to work with my brothers, brother. So, yeah.
0: So, quick question. You say you have a rockstar, all-star team. How do you find them? That's where I'm struggling. Because I still have a full-time job, so I have to hire Mac with managers and all that until I can get this going full time. So I've already hired three of them, but they're not answering the calls. I see they're going to voicemail. You know They don't have the negotiating tactics down even though I talk to them about it. I don't have the time to go to every one of the meetings. So where are you
1: going out to find these people and how are you training them? That's a lot of questions. Um, so how do you find the people? <laughs> how do you find them? And that's another thing. People want that ninja like, exactly where you get them in that process. There's lots of different ways like you know, the Craigslist and the, and the, and the like all these different places you can find people with applications, but here's what I'd say you do. With whatever process, however you're finding them, bringing them in, do the best you can with the knowledge you've got to screen them the best. But pro- some people aren't gonna work out. So one of the ways you find the right people is sometimes by finding the wrong people. If You talk a lot of these seven figure flipping people, one of the big keys to this scaling up is getting things done through other people. And I'd say each and every one of them raise their hand and be like, yeah, they have brought people on, which is what you need to do, scale. And each and every one of them said, I've let people go. So to find the right person, that process is sometimes finding the wrong person. Because you might not recognize what the right person is, but I applaud you for having hired some people and you just told me a key, they're not cutting the mustard. Great, let them go. Now you know like that one didn't work, so Edison, the light bulb, right? We all know this one. He found out 4,999 ways of not to invent the light bulb, so that person wasn't the person answering my phone, but now let's move on to another one. So that's how we've kind of done it. We do the best we can to screen them up front, but sometimes it's like you bring them in, they don't work out, you refine your process, and then you try to plug somebody else in the place. But don't lose heart. Don't think, this business doesn't work. I hired somebody to do this stuff, and they don't do it, and you recoil, and you take it all back. No, that's not how you do it. You need to be able to get things done through other people. So that's one tactic. The other thing is, would you want to work for you? Are you having realistic expectations of of what you're expecting of those people? Are you trying, would you want to work for you, right? So be realistic about that. Yeah? Uh, Just curious, how many people do you have on your team right now? Uh, On just the buy-sell team, like the... We got a company anyway. Yeah, in that company, like 16, 17, something like that, somewhere around there. I have a count. Are
0: I, most of those where you are locally or are they in different markets? How, how is that broken out?
1: So a lot of them do live in Utah. I have sales reps that live in other states and we have some phone people that do live in other states and we have some phone people all live in Utah. They don't come to an office. They just work from home. They just have them work from their computers. So our office is not extremely impressive. We've got a three office suite that's really small, and the people that go there, instead of getting a bigger office and growing, we actually just kick people out and send them home. So I work from home, COO works from home, um, a lot of the sales reps just work from the road, dispositions guy works from home, phone people work from home. Yeah, my office expense is extremely low. I'm allergic to fixed expenses. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so I'm at a point now uh, in my business where I need to hire an acquisitions guy. Um, and i i feel like i could keep him pretty busy but for from eight to five i just want to make sure that he's busy all the time yeah so i'm sending out a lot of direct mail um and you know i'm getting calls in there's pretty good lead flow i have a um would you if you were me you had to hire somebody like what are the top three to five things you would have him do just to go you know full blast
1: in my perfect sales rep full blast um, obviously they need to respond to those incoming leads. That's like a first priority. They need to set those appointments. They need to do the pre-work, by the way. I tell my sales reps, no time is wasted that is spent doing pre-work, because it's gathering your knowledge and specifically about that property and the industry at large. And time is front of a seller. So I want them doing pre-work properly, going to see the seller. After that, they need to follow up with previous sellers. That's extremely important From this, right? We talked about that. So they need to be following up adequately as well. And beyond that, I would expect them, my perfect salesperson, to do some prospecting. These things we've talked about here today, you think there's any chance that they should be able to do some of those things? I would hope so, right? Kick up some of their own dust. And we do that in our organization. If a lead comes through our channel, they get their normal piece. If it comes through a channel of their own efforts, in which we tell them how to do that, they get a bigger piece. So if they're out there networking, if they're out there doing any of these things, cold calling, door knocking, that stuff, if the deal comes through, they make more money. So we incentivize them to do that. So there should never be a time where they're like, well, I got no leads, there's nothing I should do. You have no leads, what does that mean? Like you don't have any current stuff, right? What about your follow-up? What about, what about just going through a network and what about building your database, right? They're getting paid by, as a result of their efforts, right? They should be doing that. So in my mind, they should never be like, I'm bored, what should I do? It's like, you should be prospecting, you should be getting deals. Does that make sense? I mean, it's all the stuff that you guys do. We've done this in this room, right? How we found deals, the ways we talked about today. Expect your people to do that too.
0: Where do you allocate the majority of your marketing dollars? Which avenue?
1: To whatever works. That's stuff we talked about there. I try to um, spend as much money as I responsibly can in those channels that we talked about. Oh, but which one's your favorite? Which one do you like best out of everything you just mentioned? Um, or which one gets you the most deals? That, there's two different questions right there. Okay. <laughs> the most deals, we do the majority of our deals, the volume of our deals from equity mailers and PPC. Because of the volume, right? Because of the volume. Which one's more efficient? the more efficient are the niches. If we tar- start in this, in this target, the center of the target is those niches. But unfortunately, you can't mail 100,000 niches, right? What, what's your conversion rate for uh, PPC and SEO? <laughs> what do you mean conversion you know, rate? Like? like out of how many leads come in, we turn into a deal from like Leads SEO. per contract? Yeah. It depends on the market, but my blend is about 12. Okay. 12 leads per contract. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yes.
0: Rewinding back to the beginning a little bit, if you're just getting started, who would be the first person you would hire?
1: Ooh, first person I would hire? It's going to be different for everybody because everybody's got different strengths in this room. So the first person that you should hire is somebody that's going to help you with your weakness first or something you absolutely hate doing or something that's like a cheap task you should be outsourcing. Because if you're doing a $15 an hour task and you're expecting to make $600 an hour, it's just this logic doesn't compute right. So the first person I hired uh, happened to be a bookkeeper. It freed up some of my time. So you guys will see that if you're doing everything, the reason, and you're going to talk, these guys for the next couple of days are gonna talk about scaling up, how they do two from 200, how Bill did that, how JJ did and all these people did it. They hired people to do all the things they're doing. Because right now 100% of your time is spent doing everything. Well, what if you could offload some of that stuff that you either don't like, or it's just low dollar per hour you can get somebody else to do it? Doesn't mean you're gonna do less, it's just you're gonna work on a more higher value tasks. right? On that pyramid, only the things that you can do at the top of that is what you need to spend your time doing. Everything else you need to outsource to other people. Right? So who should you do first? Ask yourself those questions. Write down everything you're doing, and look at that and say, can I delegate this? Can I automate this? Is this something I don't like doing, and what can I do for cheap? How can I hire out for cheap here? Here's your last question. Could you explain to me what you mean by equity mailers and PPC? Oh, sorry. PPC is, is pay per click. So online, when you go to a search engine like Google or Bing, and you pipe in any search term, those top three or four spots, that say ad on it, you paid, people paid to have their ad show there. So that's a paid search, that's PPC. And equity mailers is kind of like I went over in the presentation, like who you can responsibly mail, somebody that has equity. So for us, our list is um, people that are in our target area, that have equity in their property and sell, that are the tax value that we want, certain age of the home, and certain age demographic, things like that. So that would be equity mailers, somebody that's our list that we mail to. I couldn't hear you very well. Oh, oh, I got gotcha. you. Wow, yes, yeah. let's give her a round of applause for the, the yelling. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not for somebody, somebody that has equity in their property, that has the ability to sell it at a price that we might need to negotiate it at. Yeah. so that we could buy their property for any number of reasons, that we might buy with a property to hold it as a rental property, buy it to wholesale it, buy it to fix it and resell it, a variety of different reasons. And if, you, if you've built that base knowledge of lots of different things you can do with the property, those tools in your tool belt, you can go in and take a situation that somebody might be like, I don't know how he's gonna make money on that, and you can make money on it, right? So it's, it's to provide an opportunity for us to solve a problem for the seller that, that works for us, that we can create a win-win situation where we can make money. Thank you. Yep, you're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy McFarland.